Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Good morning, church. Uh, What a privilege to be here this morning um, or this evening or whenever you might be watching this. Uh, We're recording on the 2nd of June, and I want to say that deliberately because I've got a few things that by the time this is showing, um, there may be some developments that uh, have happened. And so uh, I just want to say what a privilege it is to speak, um, even if it's with none of you actually here. Uh, New for me, so Uh, be gracious, bear with me. I've got a few um, thoughts that I believe God's put on my heart to share with you today, and um, I pray that it is a blessing to you. So why don't I begin by praying for us? Would you join me? Father, thank you for uh, your church, for your love for, for us, and the way that you have made yourself known, uh, revealed yourself to us, And God, how you want to continue to reveal yourself to us, to speak, to encourage, to challenge, uh, so that we may continue to be the church uh, this day, in this time, in this place, um, for your creation. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said, when this, as this is uh, recorded, it's it's been a pretty full-on time, uh, full-on week, Um, no doubt as I'm sure will still um, be discussed uh, as the weekend approaches, uh, we've seen incredible stuff happening around the globe um, from the obvious pandemic that we've been facing. And um, thankfully in Australia, we've uh, we've done so well in in many ways, um, certainly compared to so many countries that that are just suffering in so many many different ways. But in addition to that, we've... um, We've had riots and protests around the world after the tragic murder of uh, George Floyd in um, Minnesota, and uh, no doubt that may have been something that um, that's weighed heavily on your heart, as as it has mine. Uh, as my accent would indicate, we've spent a number of years in the United States, and uh, I have much fam- a number of family members there who are just uh, struggling under the weight of uh, the racial tension, of the impact of the riots. Um, and the protests, both knowing how to navigate this tricky season um, and, and, and without uh, exacerbating things. And so um, I believe that that God is doing something in this time that uh, I think is difficult to uh, perceive, but I believe he is raising up uh, the church to walk in a different way, humbly, um, hopefully leading the way in, in ways of reconciliation. Uh, and as if you listened last week, you'll hear that um, Reconciliation uh, Week ran all last week, and, and, and today was the last kind of official day, and Vic did such a, a good job expressing her heart in the way that the Holy Spirit uh, wants to bring reconciliation, racial reconciliation, and reconciliation, most importantly, between God and, and us. And so 
I want to speak to you about Jesus. It's the last week in the series on knowing Jesus, and um, it's one of my favorite subjects. Uh, my goal today is to unpack a passage of Scripture that um, is a challenging one, uh, but one that I, I think is important for us to get our heads around the way that Jesus calls us um, to all who would seek to follow him to um, a radical way, a new way, and, and a way that beckons us to lay down our kingdoms. If you, if you um, were listening a couple of weeks ago, um, when we we're talking about um, the kingdom of God and the way that we inhabit um, and are called to a different kingdom, um, Caleb, you might have to remind me of the writer of the book that we've been reading. Thank you. John Ortberg. He spoke uh, incredibly about the way that we're called to follow a new the rule of, of a new kingdom with a, with a new king. And so in light of that, I'd like to read um, a fairly lengthy passage of scripture, partly not to let you fall asleep, um, but that you might be encouraged to visit this for yourself. And I'm reading from John chapter 6. Um, won't take too long, but uh, the, the the preface of what I'm about to read is that Jesus is making one of his uh, seven I am statements um, that he does in the book of John. Um, so if you're familiar with it, you know, the I am the good shepherd, I am the door, I'm the way, the truth, the life, the resurrection, and he and, and others. Um, and in leading up to this, he's with his disciples. And the disciples have been with him for some time you would see and guess that they know him. Uh, and in this moment, they're getting to know him in a way that is a little sharp. It's, it's the kind of way that you're like, whoa, he's serious. And so if you'd like to, to join with me, I'm reading from John chapter 6, verses 41 uh, to 70. So bear with me. At this, the Jews began to grumble about Jesus because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling amongst yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent, who sent me draws them and I will raise them up in the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I, get, I will give for the life of the world. The Jews began to grumble and argue sharply among, them, among themselves. How can this man give us flesh to eat? They said. And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat my, my flesh, of the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in him. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, 
and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats and drinks uh, remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And he said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing this, his disciples said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What then if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. Yet he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is the devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray Jesus. Thanks for bearing with me. I'm, that was that was a lot of scripture to read. Um, and let me unpack a few things that I notice about this that um, I think are, are really critical, especially if you've been a Christian for, for some time. Um, sometimes as we read passages that are familiar to us, we can kind of become overly familiar and they can kind of inoculate us from how extreme or how sharp those words would have been to hear listening for the first time. And if you know this audience, um, there were some, some other disciples beyond the 12 and then some Pharisees. But if you consider that these 12 men had lived with Jesus for some time now, and they're hearing these words and going, what? What are you talking about? Give us bread and your, your blood. Jesus was, of course, referring to um, a practice that he would later, um, I guess, establish within the Christian church, what we call communion to the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, where we eat bread and drink wine or juice. Um, because in doing so, we, we proclaim his death and we participate in it as we, as we eat it. Now, that's a myster- mysterious thing. And actually, for, the cent- for centuries, people have um, argued quite substantially about that. In fact, there's words for it like transubstantiation, pansubstantiation, consubstantiation. We're not going to go into that right now, probably as you're sitting in your kitchen making breakfast. But what I think Jesus wanted to convey was that there is a physical realm to his kingdom coming. It's more than an ethereal thing that we just kind of think about, but it's practical. It involves actually eating, actually drinking, and actually serving, and actually laying down in a practical sense our own kingdoms 
They call us to do a whole bunch of things that are practical, but uh, we're called when we follow him to say, God, what is it like to have you be my king? And uh, funnily enough, the early church, and I mean in the first and second century, um, Palestine, and uh, as, the, as the church spread in those first couple of hundred years, they were known to be a certain kind of people. And they were known to be a certain kind of people in the face of a culture and a society that looked very, very different, as you can imagine, than it does today. Um, as I was preparing, I came across an article that uh, speaks about a actually a dialogue between two people in the second century AD um, that were arguing about the way that Christians were perceived at that time. In fact, they were despised uh, for some pretty interesting reasons. I won't read all of these, but um, they were charged with a couple of really specific things. And one of them is actually alluded in this passage that you just heard me read. They were actually accused of being cannibals, if you can imagine. Um, They were accused of actually eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Jesus. And the result of that was, well, they could be blamed for crimes. Um, And they were. In fact, a lot of them went to their death because they were accused of doing what was illegal in Rome. Not that there was a lot of things that weren't illegal that were incredibly immoral. Um, In addition to cannibalism, uh, they were also charged with uh, a handful of things that I, I found really interesting. One was that they refused to simply interact with the people that were in their socioeconomic status. Um, their, their, their charge was that they mingled with the poor and the lower class. In fact, their churches or home churches at the time were filled with people from different socioeconomic and even racial uh, backgrounds. Slaves were eating food with masters. Um, which is interesting because just even this week I read that when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, one of the reasons that Peter was so appalled was that Jewish slaves, it was written by Josephus uh, years later, Jewish slaves weren't allowed to wash people's feet. That was considered beneath them. That's crazy. And then Jesus, their master, would wash their feet. They were also, uh, funnily enough, charged with atheism because according to Roman tradition at the time, they were unwilling to worship the myriad of gods that were being worshipped at the time. Um, and the other thing that struck me was that they were considered foolishness, foolish, excuse me, because of their lack of patriotism. Now, I found that interesting, especially in light of what's happening around our world right now, that f- for, for the Christian, and, and perhaps you, you can relate to this, is that um, whether, whether you're from Australia or you're from China or you're from Italy or whatever, when you come to Christ, the facets that make you feel proud that you, ha- that you have a particular affiliation with a country, they inevitably take a lower rank of importance because we're no longer known by the fact that we're a citizen of a country, but rather we're a citizen of heaven, of a different rule, a different reign. And I've I've spoken to people from across different walks of life that, um, yes, of course, we're shaped by our culture and certainly where we're from and our nationality and our racial backgrounds. And 
And paying attention to that, especially now, is important. But here's the thing. When we swear our allegiance to a different king, we become a citizen of a different kingdom. Uh, And I think that's one of the things that struck me as I was preparing this. Uh, Listen to this this quote. Um, It's a quote by C.S. Lewis. I reference him fairly often. This is taken from Mere Christianity. Um, Around this passage of when Jesus calls you to himself, he's not done offending. He's not done correcting. In fact, C.S. Lewis says this, Jesus warned people to count the cost before becoming Christian Christians. Make no mistake, he says, if you let me, I will make you perfect. The moment you put yourself in my hands, that is what you are in for. Nothing less, no other than that. You have free will. And if you choose, you can push me away. But if you do not push me away, understand that I'm going to see this job through. Whatever suffering it might cost you in your earthly life, whatever inconceivable purification it might cost you after death, whatever it costs me, I will not rest. I will not let you rest until you are made in my image. Until my father can say without reservation that he is pleased with you, as he said he was pleased with me. This I can do and I will do, and I will not do anything less. Church, today I want to talk to you about knowing Jesus. But of course, as that passage indicated, Lazarus knew Jesus. The Pharisees probably knew all about Jesus. His disciples, the ones that I say outside the 12, thought his teachings were too hard and they left. And and you'd think at that moment he'd say like, oh, you know, the 12 that have been with me, come on, guys, you can stay with me. But he actually actually turns and says, do you want to leave too? I love what Peter says. Where? Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go where we can hear the words of life? What Peter says, I think, echoes the whole sweep of, of the narrative of Scripture, where you have story after story of people and a nation that wrestle with what it means to not just know God, but to yield to God. To say, I thought I had this all worked out, but maybe I didn't. I thought I had Jesus kind of worked out. You know, just prior to this passage, he'd walked on water. He'd fed people. He was like, he was the, the minister of the day. And then he turns and he gives this hard teaching that suggests that to follow Jesus means to lay everything down. It's still what he's in the business of doing. This isn't a new idea, though. You know, to know and to love and to obey and to walk with God has always meant a yielding of our own kingdoms. And uh, it's easy to say that, but our kingdoms are really subtle sometimes. The way that we think about what's important to us. Uh, It's one of the reasons why it's so important to be feasting on Scripture and be reading and uh, praying and asking God, what, is, what does this all look like? Especially if you've been doing it for a while. 
um, you know, for a long, for, for actually um, for years and years in the early church, um, one of the practices was to uh, de- de- declare um, a doxology over, over the church. Um, and one of the common ones was actually taken from First Chronicles 29. You don't have to go there, but I'll just, I'll just read this. This is David speaking. Um, the one who wrote so many of the Psalms, he says, um, it says this, it said, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the, pl- and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. I mean, just listen to David and and the way that echoing just those, those phrases speaks to us. He's deliberately relinquishing his kingdom, his power, and his glory, of which he had a lot. David was a pretty big deal back then. But instead of saying, aren't I amazing? He says, you, God, are the king of kings, giving back to God every blessing that he himself received. And we live in an age where this is a strange time. Our time, our money, our sexual ethics, our achievements, our dreams for our lives are all resolutely ours, aren't they? Personal surrender and costly sacrifice are rare. The kingdom of God is an unthreatening, ephemeral concept, a vaguely and unpleasant, desirable future prospect. Not the unthreatening, ephemeral concept, uh, not the, sorry, the kind of concrete present reality that grazes our knees as we relinquish everything we cherish cherish to its king. But to pray those verses is to give him the power that he rightly deserves back. It's to give him our little empires, my family, my ministry, my career, and say, yours, Lord, is the kingdom. It's to give him the power bases that we've built and say, yours, it's the, yours is the power. It's to give him our credibility, our trophies of success and say, yours, Lord, is the glory now and forevermore. Now, I don't know what you're facing this week. There's probably a whole range of things. Some of you will still be in places of great isolation, um, cut off from people that perhaps you've not seen for some time. And others, uh, as is perhaps mostly the case, will have in some ways gone back to life as normal. These realities don't go away, whether we're in isolation or whether we're not. For followers of Jesus, repenting from our own kingdoms, our own idols, is a part of what it's like to walk with Jesus. In fact, as we share in communion, whenever that is, that's part of the reality of eating that bread, drinking that wine, is saying, 
I'm going to declare that, that that death that he died, that I deserved, and the life that he lived that I could never live, is what makes it possible for me to know God. No other way. No other right thing, righteous thing that I've done could make sure that I would come into relationship with God. It's only because of him. That's what that's what the Christian faith has always been built on, the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. So whatever you might be doing today, you're, um, remember you're making breakfast in your kitchen. Uh, then that, That's pretty awesome. But this is a heart position, a position where in our hearts we say, um, God, following you has got to be the most important thing. It's not like mildly important. In fact, if in our heart of hearts, we really just think it's of mild importance that this Jesus thing is true and that um, I can follow him without personal sacrifice, well, then we're fooling ourselves. And so what I'd like to do is end by um, praying a prayer, not just of knowing God and loving God, but yielding to him today. So would you join me? Eternal God, I yield to you the hours of my day and the days of my life. Creator God, I surrender the possessions that I that, that so easily possess me. King of kings, I give you credit for my achievements and swap my ambitions for yours. Lord Jesus Christ, I relinquish my reputation insofar as I'm able, that you may increase and I may decrease. Lamb of God, I offer you my body this day as a living sacrifice. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory, now and forever.